Welcome to our Ted Lasso Talk, the Tedcast. Welcome, all Greyhound fans. Welcome, all you sinners from the dog track and all the AFC Richmond fans around the world. It's the Lasso way around these parts with Coach Coach and Boss. Without further ado, Coach Castleton. Okay, and we're back. Season 2, Episode 7, Headspace. Written by Phoebe Walsh, directed by Matt Lipsy. Um... We are coming off of uh, Coach. Why don't you sum up where where we entered this episode from? Well, we have had a humongous team win, um, and that has been accompanied by Ted um, having another panic attack, and we discover him along with Doctor Sharon. Well, Doctor Sharon discovers him uh, in her office. Um, saying that he'd like to make an appointment. So obviously uh, the, the the panic attacks and so on are coming to a head. Right. Perfect. So we open up with um, Sonny and Cher's I Got You, Babe. Um, when you heard that, did that uh, did that make you think of anything? I know because, you know, Reservoir Dogs, uh, you know, you can't, stuck in the middle of you is, you know, it's all. It's just in your brain. Whenever you hear a certain uh, certain song, mm-hmm, it, it mm-hmm. connects it to a show. Did Did I Got You, Babe? Uh, connect to anything for either one of you? Not for me, Bone. Oh, uh, Groundhog's Day. Yes. Is that what you were thinking? Yeah. Yes. So I thought it was so clever. Uh, yeah, Groundhog Day, uh, Coach. It's the it's the song that plays at six a.m. every morning when it goes from five fifty nine to six. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's funny with the alarm right? clock, right? And then right, he smashes right. it. Yep, yep. Yeah, it's 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 a yeah, ride. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was an interesting way to set the stage for people that got the joke. Uh, you know, if if, if that has been imprinted in your brain, um, you would get like, oh, here, there's a there's some, you know inherent monotony to this um and uh anyway i thought it was a also a way to keep the rom-com kind of (laughs) the mentions of the rom-com right right right. um anyway so wait hold on are are you also saying that groundhog day is a a rom-com though because when i was telling a friend of mine about my favorite rom-coms i mentioned that one and then she yelled at me because that apparently doesn't count I Why? might have also how I, I don't know. I might have also said Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and I think maybe that at some point she was like, "No, we're talking specifically about films from the '90s starring a Drew Barrymore or a Jennifer Lopez." <laughs> but like this, <laughs> sense sense and sensibility is not going to cut it in this column. So I don't know. I think it's a great rom com, but I thought I was alone in that. I think there's a great debate to be had over whether certain films should be included on that list, but I, I, I don't think we uh, are hurting for material to discuss around here, so I won't, I won't take us too far down sure. that road. But I would like to have that discussion at some point. I wasn't, if I'm not mistaken, during the rom com homage episode, I feel like there was at least one Groundhog Day reference. So I feel like this show considers it a rom com. Perfect. I will take yeah. that then. And I will also tell my very good, very kind friend that she's wrong about everything. Yeah, you can tell her coach thinks so. <laughs> okay, so uh, Roy, uh, we get a shot of the bedside table. We see the Da Vinci Code, which always cracks me up. 
Um, and either one of you have, have you either read, uh, either one of you read the Da Vinci Code? Yes. Yes. I read yes. it when it was the, sort of a craze too. So it was an interesting, uh, experience. I loved it, but yeah, that, that was my experience of it. Everyone's reading this. So. Right. Right. It's like a, like a, if you're not much of a reader, it's like a starter reading drug, which is great. Gets people to, to, uh, to other, other books a lot of the time. Um, but anyway, I thought that was funny. Roy Wiggins in bed with Keely and they greet each other and she opens the fridge and Roy's behind it. Um, it, you know, she says morning and, and he says morning. And she says morning with a full mouth of toast and they get in the car to drive for work. And he says hi for hey for a third time. Quick reference. But uh, when she shuts the fridge, she's actively startled by him. Mm-hmm. The, similar to her shutting her trunk in uh, the first season and being startled in the Nice. Only this time he doesn't bother apologizing. He's not like, oh, hey, I startled you. He apparently Great. believes that he should be there and not startling her at any point. Coach, what is uh, what is the Roy Kent theme song? Oh. He's, there. <laughs> He's there. He's there. That's brilliant. You're I, okay. and yes, that is the experience. What is it like? What is it like to live with Roy Kent when he's being Roy Kent, but in your life, not on the fridge, <laughs> right, right? Yeah. So, so not. Right? I yeah. Was, he's here. He's there. He's every fucking way. You're right. right? So they take that. This mm-hmm. writing staff is so good that they take that concept and then they make it terrible. Um. I was just blown away uh, by that. Anyway, so um, we cut to the Richmond hallway. They're walking away, holding hands. Uh, you know, walking down the hallway, holding hands. They say bye and kiss. And Keely's going to get some space from him. And then he notices she's not going to her office and asks if he can join her for for tea. And we see that this is a this is a thing for her. Um, any comments about this opening uh, scene? No, I got it, and I got. I thought it was interesting for Keely that it was too much of a good thing, but also based on how she described her relationships in season one, you know, sort of, you know, at 18, she was dating the 23 year old and then here she was approaching 30 dating the 23 year old. I thought it was interesting for her to be figuring out how she wants to do a grown up relationship. I think the focus ends up being for, for clear reasons on, on Roy and what he's not getting. But in some ways, we also see some of this that Keeley's not getting. Um, so it's a, I thought, I thought it was a very grown up way to play the joke. Yeah. And, and I mean, here's the thing. Uh, what Ted Lasso does better than any other show out there is they show uh, sometimes the wrinkles in the system. <laughs> they show some of the, the very nuanced personal moments, the smaller, smaller beats, um, and then they address them. So the thing that it, one of the things I've noticed about watching Ted Lasso and then watching other shows, I was like groaning the other day about something. You have another show where all you need to do is have a conversation and then everything is cleared up and the plot can move forward. And once you see how Ted Lasso, uh, you know, handles that, they actually address it. They have people like, you know, regulate themselves and check and aspire to be better and things like that. Whereas other shows you're like, just fucking call the guy and this wouldn't be a, a thing. What do you think boss? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that that's a great point. And I love that they actually, that a lot of the times um, I'm thinking, especially episode nine of season one, where Keely's like, I know 
that you were setting up Ted, Rebecca, you have to tell him the next scene she tells him. Like they do get to that very quickly. And I do like that a lot. My one issue with this plot line right now is that Roy spent the first half of the season figuring out what he wants to do professionally and was sort of aimless in that. And now is constantly around Keeley, seemingly aimless again in the rest of his life and not knowing what to do unless he is physically attached to her. And at some point you want to be like, Roy, the hell were you doing like last year before you guys started dating? Were you just sitting in a dark room by yourself waiting for somebody to come talk to you? Because it doesn't seem like for a professional footballer, he is taking a lot of initiative to do things outside. Like you're a grown up, Roy, go be a grown up. Well, yeah, he's a man, I think. He's a man. I think No, for sure. And I think, it's all been that. Like, right, when he talks about taking that trip for six weeks, it's like it'll be the first time I've had this time where I wasn't either training or rehabbing, right? Like, I think part of what we're seeing, too, is, like, he's a retiree. But because of his age, we don't look at him quite that way. But he is actually a retiree, figuring out, like, yeah. should I, should I, you know, go down to the hospital and volunteer? Or, you know what I mean? So <laughs> I, I think that's interesting to watch, like, someone of this age, because of the career, go through that. Yeah, and I think that that's a really good point. I think that overall, that is his arc. I sort of wish that it had been more layered throughout the season with him figuring out slow things. It it feels like instead he figures out one thing and moves on and figures out one thing and moves on instead of it being Mm. more of a cohesive arc, which is something I would have liked to have seen more. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying like there is a layering that could have happened that would have added some depth for me. I think my natural misogyny kicked in. I'm like, oh, wait, we're making Roy the bad guy now? Like, what the fuck? Okay, that is something I will touch on later. So that's um, not a no, bad point. I, I was actually, you know what? Uh, that was a joke. But I actually was, um, I it do was love, fun. I do love Roy. But uh, I was thinking, ah, fuck, I don't want this subplot. Yeah, that's fair. I was like, shit. Like, do I really? Like, like give, him a, give him a win for once. He's so great. You love the character so much. He had a little bit of glory in the first season when he was scoring some goals. But mostly he was on the decline. He retires, his team is relegated, and now he's like trying to figure out what the hell to do with his life at 38. So, no, I get that. Like, it would be nice to see him have a win. Uh, yeah, part, that's, it's partly that. It's also partly like, okay, we're pressed for time. There's a lot of shit I want to cover. <sighs> do we really need to like introduce a, an issue between Roy and Keeley, who I'm currently very cool with? You know, do we need to like, do we need to address whatever i was just like not sure that i wanted to go down this road so um you know just a personal thing because i'm like oh god there's a lot cooking yeah i i I don't know if this individual hiccup that they have in their relationship was needed it's fine but i don't think it was as integral to the plot as other things right right that's what i think so we cut to nathan's house his father lloyd who's played by peter landy reads the paper uh, he complains about useless policies. The mother, uh, Maria, played by Neelan Bakshi, she brings over some food and asks if he's yelling at the paper again. Let me know if they ever talk back, she says. Uh, I I will say that I can't tell if it's the performances or the um, or the writing that they do for Nate's parents, but that feels car- like caricature-esque to me. Like, I don't always feel like completely hashed out 
you know, people to me. Uh, they feel like caricatures. Yeah, I, 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 I hear you. And this very well may be, you know, me giving, you know, sort of uh, confirmation bias that I just think so much of the writers that I'm, I'm willing to, to sort of attribute, um, not unlike Kanye West followers. Never mind. But anyway, the point is. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, but the, the, the real, but the point is, I wonder, and I, I want to get into this a bit more as we go. But it's about playing a role versus being um, real. And I think that it comes up in a few ways in this episode. And just as you were saying that, I, I found myself thinking, is that is that relevant? I think it might be relevant that the father is the father plays a role and the mother plays a role. Like, I feel like they do this all the time. Right. And he whatever, and she goes, oh, silly boys. And then they kind of whatever. And then he picks on Nate, and then she does the same thing again. Like, I feel like the two of them are playing roles within the context of the life we're observing. Um, More so than it just being like they didn't take the time to write them fully. Got it. It, That at this stage in both their relationship and their parenting that they have fallen into characters of themselves rather than it could be. Yes, it could, it could be. Yeah, people. it absolutely yep. could be. Um, I should have mentioned that, uh, you know, Nate is checking uh, social media on the way into his house uh, and um, very pleased with himself about what he sees there. And so when he bursts into the house, he's all excited. He gives flowers to his mom. You know, she says, what's the occasion? He's no occasion, just an ordinary day. Uh, he's expecting some affirmation from his father. Uh, uh, you know, there's a callback to season one where he finds a decorated shoebox. Um, and, and Nate's in a generally a good mood. And the paper that his father is reading has a picture of Nate on the back uh, with, with a with a headline that says the Wonder Kid wins it. And Nate says, well, would you look at that? They'll let anyone in the newspapers nowadays, won't they? And his father turns and looks at the paper and says, they say humility is not thinking less of yourself but thinking about yourself less. I I think this is an absolutely pivotal moment in the entire series. And I, I think like it is here and, you know, with the, the, the Nate's reaction to it. I mean, I remember just feeling like gut punched on his behalf. And I, and I think this is when it's clear, like you will not move up the ladder. Like he has been fully denied by his father. There's nothing you could do. Right, right. Nothing you can do that'll yeah. That'll move you up the ladder. And all Nate wants is to move up in status in his father's eyes. Really, ultimately. And he's and it's just not gonna happen, apparently. Yeah. No, that's pretty clear. It was a good point. And uh what might have happened later on with Nate had his father given him the approval that he sought. We'll never know. Uh, so few of us are beloved by our own fathers. I know um, I was a I was a treasure to my father, um, and <laughs> it's really worked out for me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I for a second was like, "Oh, that's very sweet." <laughs> then Coach Bishop starts <laughs> laughing. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's. No matter what, uh, you can't win if you're a dad. Your kids are going to get fucked up one way or the other. Um, okay, so um, 
Uh, that's not true, by the way. That was that was a false statement. I just said that was a joke. Okay, so coach, um, uh, I, I agree with your point, and and about you know this is a pivotal moment. Nate's you know it's so funny when people don't own their little bullshit. So uh, you know she says, "Oh, my little boy wonder," and he's like, "Well, actually, uh, one wonder kid uh, is what I think I said. Wonder wonderkind." And like, is he trying to like? It was on video. Is he like? Yeah, he can't. He can't do it. This is a very bizarre story to bring up, but it's so on point that I'm going to do it. I was talking to a friend about their father, actually, and he's a total, you know, just narcissist sort of patriarch kind of, you know, character in their family. At any rate, he apparently one day was coming down to the kitchen, thought he was alone and farting. Well, he wasn't alone. His grandson was there and laughed and said, oh, grand, you know, grandpa farted, essentially. And the man has forever denied that it happened. As if like a fart, like yeah, like it's family, it's your grandson, like who gives a sh- And he, but it, no, and and it's been obvious that clearly it did happen, and he will never say it happened. And I just thought that was a fascinating um, glimpse. Like I can't be seen in any way as even anything approaching weak or imperfect. Um, to, to, to just clinging to that, like he clearly said what he said. And and like you you know like you said it's on video it's there's no question, but he can't do it. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things about getting older is learning that the people who are most confident are the ones who will also most quickly acknowledge when they did something wrong or screwed up or just made a silly mistake. Like if I farted in front of somebody, I would have to acknowledge that I farted because it's the truth. But hopefully, because I also have the smallest bit of confidence that would let me know that if I fart in front of somebody, they're not going to think I'm a terrible garbage person. Like the reason that Nate was asking for that was because he doesn't have any confidence and his dad is trying to teach him a lesson that he hasn't equipped his son to know. Like you can't tell your son to be humble and think less about yourself unless you've already gotten them to the level where they feel confident that they are important enough that other people will think of them. Right. Yes. So it's, yes. It, yeah. Like watching this interaction play out. He, he needs his dad to acknowledge him. His dad is saying, you need to be the kind of person who doesn't need to be acknowledged, but you won't acknowledge your son. So how the hell is he supposed to be that person? Yeah. No, it's. I think that's a great insight that because what what Nate's father is doing is not is he's using the word humble, but he's really saying you know unimportant. He's really saying not valued. He's not. He's not because humility, like you say, humility has a level of understanding of you know these are my good traits. These are my bad traits. How would Nate learn to be humble? Like you're pointing out. I mean, he's heard much more of that in a, you know, a season and and an off season with, uh, with Ted than he probably has ever heard from his father. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Well, yeah. Nate wants to be taken uh, seriously as a man, as a full grown man. And then he sticks his out, his tongue out at a box. Um, so, you know, it's, (laughs) it all makes perfect sense. I mean, he's got some work to do. (laughs) Um, 
we now cue uh, cue the intro to uh, uh, the, uh, to the show, and we zip over to Ted knocking and entering Doctor Sharon's office. Um, he thanks her for helping him out the other night with that little quote unquote hiccup. Uh, he says he's feeling a lot better, so he might not even need a session. And Doctor Sharon tells him to get comfy, and then we get oh dear God, <laughs> minutes screen time minutes of Jason Sudeikis as Ted Lasso uh, just making everyone who's watching feel anxious. <laughs> it was like masterful. It was so uh it was it was torture. Uh coach, what do you think? Well, I I'm going to I'm going to preface what I think with I am a participant in and firm believer in therapy. So, you know, that definitely comes into the conversation that's going to unfold between them over the course of the episode. But I thought, and this was part of my who's playing a role and who's not. Ted doesn't just, Ted isn't just uneasy. He's unsure of what role he's going to now play. Right, he can't come in and just do. He 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 try first. He tries out. Okay, I'll play. I'll just play Ted Lasso. Oh, a little hiccup, you know. And we're gonna move on because everything's fine and everything's dandy. She doesn't buy it. Should I be Don Draper? No. Oh, I'll be one of the characters in the in the New Yorker cartoon. No, right. It's it's. Ted has been playing a character, Ted Lasso, and now. Sharon saying to him, no, 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 I actually need to talk to, like, Ted Lasso. Right. Yeah. And and it's he's the one that's supremely uncomfortable, you know, because of that. But I thought it was interesting that he, like, tried out roles and frustrated that there were no more roles to play. Um, I think then we see, you know, what, what unfolds between them. Yeah, that's super. What a, what a great point. Um, I had never thought of it that way, but I think that's great. I also thought God damn, they know their audience because it was like Mad Men, New Yorker, Sopranos. I'm like, uh huh. Like, are you in my garbage? Like, what the right, fuck? Right, right, right. They just know exactly who's who this target audience is. Anyway, uh, I, I thought it was great. Um, and then finally, uh, you know, he, he basically does the luge. He does, he, he, you know, it's like we're on an episode of Sopranos with all the gratuitous violence, which is a good thing, but a lot less spaghetti and clams too, which is a bad thing. And then he does starts to look over the various uh, decorations or accoutrement on her desk, and there's this bird toy. Um, and Doctor Sharon's just watching him; she's not saying anything this whole time. And it was funny because, if you'll remember, I had a real problem with Doctor Sharon at the beginning, uh, like how she was introduced and choices they made for her, like closing the door in his face. There was a bunch of things that I just didn't like. And this episode, I was like, I think she's great. I liked everything about her in this episode. Hmm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I was just like, wow, that is, it is so, I mean, you don't have to have a degree to watch Ted suffering, trying to, <laughs> trying to wrap his head around where he is and what he's about to try to do, uh, to see how uncomfortable and nervous he is. Um, but she's just patient. She, she, she lets him do it. Um, what do you think, boss? Well, that actually reminded me a lot of Robin Williams' character in Goodwill Hunting when he's dealing with Matt Damon as Will, because Will's gone through all of these other therapists, court-appointed, mm. I believe, therapists, and he's 
put on different acts and play different roles and pretended at one point to fall under hypnosis so that he could relive some memory and have a breakthrough. And Robin Williams sits and watches him for an hour and doesn't say anything. And when Stellan Skarsgård says, that was a waste of an hour, what are you doing? Robin Williams was like, I can't talk to him until he's ready to talk to me. And this felt like a very similar vibe that she was going to wait him out until he figured out all this shit and then they could get into the work, but not before that. I like that that's around the power of silence, by the way. It's something that I've been paying attention to otherwise. Yep. I was just going to say the same thing. You should try that more often, Coach, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime we're together. So says my wife. You should try that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) No, I was going to say that um, uh, there's so many dynamics at play here. So one of them is the fact that – yeah, I love that you brought up Goodwill Hunting because one of the things Will does to try to shift the power imbalance is to mock the shit that the Robin Williams character has around, like, you, you know, he's going to analyze his office and whatever piddly shit he's got around, you know, to t- sort of reset the the power imbalance. Um, silence is another way to do it. You know, you have uh, uh, what's more terrifying, the, the cowboy who's s- staring at you, you know, not saying a word or the guy that's, you know, screaming what he's going to do to you. You know, you're just like, th- there's all these different things. And then with someone like Ted, who has been hiding in plain sight, for years and years and not addressing these issues, I know sometimes when I'm in a situation where I don't want to be known as much, I will resort to just asking the other person questions and getting the, <laughs> getting the, the conversation to go towards them. That way it'll save me the trouble of having to yep. talk about, right? Is that, you can do that too, coach. Absolutely. That is, that is a great uh, social anxiety hack. Yeah. No, no, it's, it's, I mean, it's what, tell me about yourself. Yeah, you start asking and the people love to talk about themselves. And then you're, you, you get, not only are you, are you labeled a great listener, uh, but you get out of the conversation scot-free. Um, and when you go into therapy, there's, there's no room for that. Um, so yeah, Sharon, Dr. Sharon is just staring at him. Um, he goes and talks about the, the bird toy. Um, uh, he he he's like what are what are the Kleenex floor you know sometimes it gets a bit emotional in here not always but sometimes and sometimes people just sneeze and uh, he goes oh the bird and I are agreeing with you and he he he, make, he mumbles something about how the pollen count is is easier to in, in the UK and um, finally he he settles down and says when do they start she says they already have and then he apologizes. He says, oh, shit, like, you know, sorry for wasting your time. And Sharon says, Ted, don't worry. And then he says, no, 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 of course, I'm not worried at all. Uh, he takes a deep breath. He says, all right, well, you know, what do you want to talk about? And she says, well, you, you know, let's talk about what happened the other night. And he instantly does what, boss? No, I don't want to do this. And then he leaves. And uh, one quick thing I wanted to mention was that as the, the little bird toy that, um, you know, it like, it looks like it's going down to drink the water and then it comes back up. It's, it is essentially nodding and he is nodding along with it. And then at some point he starts shaking his head in order to disagree with the bird. Like he's so uncomfortable with the room that he can't even buy into the idea that he might go along with what the bird is saying. Yeah. I love that you just referenced that because it, 
actually paralleled what he first did when they said, what do you think of us getting a team therapist? Yes. He did that himself. He, 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 he not shook he his head. No, shook his head and, said, and yes. said, yes. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. He has never bought in on any of this. And, you know, I think uh, everyone here has said before that they've done some therapy. And the biggest thing about therapy is it only works if you want it to. Like, you can't just go in and the doctor fixes you. You have to go in and do the work yourself. So him coming in and saying, yeah, I'm going to do this. I want to be here. And then having to actually buy into that at all, even to the extent that she says what happened the other night, he's like, nope, I'm out. I can't can't do this. Uh, I think it's interesting for a Gen X, very Gen X show, um, this sort of in and out take on therapy. Because I think we got a lot of the, like, just tough it out, do more than expected. Like, the idea of quiet quitting, like, why didn't we think of that? Um, so I, th- I think it's interesting to watch him struggling because I think there is some struggle where we are between a generation that is like, yeah, nah, he, she, not getting it done. We're going to go with they. Also, we date in groups. Like, we just do whatever the fuck we want, and we're not going to work that hard because that's stupid. And a, and a generation that, you know, gave us the, the remnants of stiff upper lip. Yeah, there's no, there's no question about it. Not to mention the fact that it's still culturally taboo in many, many, many cultures that you would need to instead of just toughing things out and pushing through that you would need to talk your feelings out with a stranger or a professional uh, has a lot of stigma attached to it. And um, so, yeah, I think uh, Ted, it it depends where you come from. Some cultures, it's like totally forbidden. (laughs) It's like unthinkable. Um, And so, um, Mm -hmm. you know, it's Mm -hmm. fascinating uh, that Ted, this Midwestern, he he referenced it as a, as a healthy uh, Midwestern, uh, what did he say? Healthy Midwestern um, skepticism. skepticism. That was the word, right? Yeah, yeah. Or should I say skepticism, baby? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, so I thought it was also kind of a fun, uh, fun thing that um, uh, for those of you who have seen The Sopranos this is a very Tony move where he's like, fuck this. And I'm out of here. <laughs> like, so I was like, Oh, they referenced the Sopranos. And then, mm, and then mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. exactly what, what Tony would have done. Just fucking nope. I'm out. Um, so now we cut to training. The team is running drills, uh, counting time in Spanish. Uh, Ted blows the whistle for a pep talk. All right. Uh, fella, it's a weird time cut, but it's fine. It's no big deal. I was like, oh, that's like, did it, you know, what happened in between, but it was fine. Um, all right, fellas, there are two things you can never let the other team know. First one is your home address. Um, okay. We got that. Uh, then he does a thing about the jerky boys where it was the advent of caller ID, the, the simple joy of a, of a crank phone call, uh, was lost. He calls the jerky boys a national treasure. Were the Jerky Boys on either one of your uh, radar? Absolutely. Okay. I remember doing yeah. a lot of laughing to the Jerky Boys. Got it. Yes. Got it. Mine was a very small amount. I heard some, but I don't think it ever. Like, I was too busy listening to Adam Sandler's first comedy album. I didn't have any time for that other stuff. I got a snake, man. That one. 
Oh, oh, the goat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you were doing the goat yeah. there. The goat and also piece of shit car. Piece of shit car is still pretty good. I, I, I will still laugh at that from time to time. And uh, was that piece of shit? Oh, maybe that was a different uh, album of Adam Sandler's. I was thinking of the one with Tollbooth Willie. Oh, that might be a different one. Got it. Okay. Yeah. No, um, yeah. Okay. But also, I will say, I don't know. Are the Jerky Boys still a national treasure? I don't remember enough of their skits. I do know that the late 90s, if you revisit some comedy stuff from there, yeah. there's a lot of questionable material now. At and best. that's not to say that they weren't at the time. Like, I'm not saying at the time that that was, that they were doing something, uh, uh, you know, problematic. Just over the past 25 years, our opinions on some of those things have changed. Absolutely. Yeah, there's no question. I Every fucking thing you look back <laughs> before 2000 <laughs> was everything before 9-11 was, was problematic somehow. Um, uh, one way or another, I, I apologize. Over the pandemic, we watched several movies from our, you know, our youth uh, coming to America house party. I'm trying to think of some of the other sort of like ones where we were like, we got to show that to the kids. And uh, pretty much what I got out of it is there's clearly a reason i'm as fucked up as i am and um that was that was uh that was eye-opening it was eye-opening to look back into our past and go wow we loved this movie we thought this was hilarious um house party in particular is a mess oh yeah yep there's there, uh, yeah no it's true there's so many like that and you just go uh you wince around your kids and they look at you in judgment and they're like really hmm. explains a lot um, okay, so Ted finishes giving a speech about how you keep uh, – when you're tired, you don't look tired. Uh, or how when you're in you know, immeasurable pain, you don't look like you're in immeasurable pain. Um, he says, the only face I want to see from y'all is what, coach? Game face, baby. And then um, he makes a Vladimir Putin. I was like, God, could you not? Yeah. Oh, it's totally fine. Yeah, I noted that too. Darn Tootin, Vladimir Putin. That 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 has perhaps at an accelerated rate not aged well. That's after the events of this February, don't reference Vladimir Putin in good mm. ways ever. Um, but aside from all of the uh, censorship I'm trying to do on this show and also the jerky boys from 20 years, uh, I think one of the interesting things about them saying game face is that there are rare occasions where being able to mask your emotions can be helpful. Um, I am thinking in particular when dealing with my nieces and nephews and, and other small children, like sometimes what I want to do is, is yell because they're being terrible, but I can't say that to them. What I have to say very calmly and patiently is Honey, the ice cream store is closed and we can't get any ice cream now. So I need you to stop screaming and punching me in the face because those things are unacceptable. So there are some times where you do want to have some <laughs> emotional distance. I just think that going into a therapy session is not one of those. Well, I'm glad you connected those two ideas because I felt rewatching this wasn't I didn't grab this initially but rewatching I felt that this was Ted sharing a bit of his like foundational philosophy right like isn't yes. this Ted like Ted just described yes. himself this is why he has an ex-wife because she's saying like well damn you must be tired sometimes and he's like nope not me 
I'm just going to walk around this pitch of life looking like a guy who's got all the energy in the world. Um, so, yeah, I yeah. thought it was an interesting placement of this of this moment with the team. I mean, you can only Flanders everything for so long. That's the thing. Well, at some point, we're going to have to have a really deep dive into Flanders. And I can't remember right now if this has been a, a, a podcast conversation or an offline conversation. But Flanders does freak out in an episode. And it's because... Uh, it turns yeah. out like his childhood was getting spanked routinely for years by a psychotherapist who was supposed to be fixing him. And he doesn't swear and he does the diddly fiddly whatever's in order to mask all of his emotional trauma. And then he explodes one day. Like the Flanders metaphor is maybe getting a little too on the nose at one point. Interesting. So the team breaks up on the pitch. Uh, half of them go uh, with with Nate and Beard. The other one goes with Ted and Roy. Um, Danny makes a joke. Danny's in the Nate side. He makes a joke about Nate being too great to coach them. And uh, and Jamie tacks on saying, now he has a reputation to keep. Um, and then Colin says, lucky us, we get to be trained by the Wonder Kid himself. And Nate says, what, boss? That's funny because I sat you down the other day, which by itself is sort of funny. I felt like this whole scene, uh, the fact that Danny's ribbing on Nate was like, oh, you're too good for us now. Like, of course, Danny would say that. Of course, the way that Danny would try to tease somebody is you're too good for us. And then there was some like real team camaraderie back and forth with I set you down. Everybody laughed. I think Sam actually comes over and puts his arm around Colin when Nate says that in yep. order to be like, yep. oh, this this is all fun and games. Everything's great. So right after the camaraderie, uh, you know, Nate gives it back a little bit. Everybody's on the same side. Uh, Nate privately tells Colin that he isn't on that side because he told the best scorers to go over there. It's not in front of the team. It's very privately that he's saying, well, the good players are going over there and you're going to sit down over here. And that, like, yeah, always oh, says like goal scorers over there or something. Yeah, my best goal right, scorers. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, the best goal scorers. And that's like the, immediately after that, Colin needs to start doing his mantra, and Beard notices like this entire scene. I know that we get pretty dark with Nate, but this is one of the first ones where I was like, oh, this is going to be really bad. Yeah, and 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 I think you know, in terms of Nate, and he's he's so committed to the latter, right? He's so committed to the, you know, social hierarchy and that sort of like patriarchal system. He, you know, he wants in on it so bad. He wants to, and I think this is him saying, all right, well, I may not be shit, but I have determined I am above fucking Colin. Like that is, I'm going to start there. Like, this guy doesn't get to lip off to me anymore. I mean, I'm trying to... Remember when he said, like, they would talk about what animal you could be? And he talked to be about being... I want to say he said he wanted to be a tiger. I'd have to go back. But it's in, whatever cat he chose, it was so that he could destroy anything that even looked at him wrong. And I think this is him going, like, you I can destroy. You I can safely destroy. Right. Well, he, he he Nate kisses up and punches down. A hundred percent. It's just a, it's just disgusting. And so, but we all know people like that. And um, I won't mention any names, Coach. I don't want you to feel <laughs> der derided. That's so not true. You're the opposite of that. Um, 
Uh, can you imagine? Um, but um, no, no, it's just such a gross quality. And I love the point that he kind of, he lets the guys run off before he really shits on, on Colin, but he, but Beard sees it. And here's a moment where, you know, Nate walks away. It's just Colin and Beard. Colin says, I'm a strong, capable man. And what does Beard say to him in that moment, boss? Um, cool. Right. It's not. And I was like, come on, Beard. Come on, Beard. My only defense is that I'll say this was a moment that needed Ted and Beard is not Ted. Like part of Beard being Beard is that he can't be Ted in specific ways because he needs to call Ted out on Ted's bullshit. And so, of course, I'm going to, uh, you know, be a bit of a beard apologist. But this is this was not the the right scene for him to be able to respond to. Nevertheless, he did see it firsthand. And um, now we cut to the locker room. We focus on Sam um, as he goes. He makes a beeline after practice right for his phone. There's no reply from who we know now as Rebecca, boss girl. And. after he said about meeting in person and Zoho comes up behind him and asks, he's like, come on, man, it's been, it's been two days with no response. Um, and Sam says, sometimes the three dots appear, but they go away. Um, Danny tells him not to be so negative. I love this about Danny. So he says, don't be so negative. There could be a good reason why she hasn't replied. And Isaac says, maybe she got hit by a bus. And Danny thinks Danny goes, or a train. <laughs> I was like, I laughed so hard or a train. Yeah. No, it's, Another thing she could be hit by. Yeah, there could be any number of things. I will say, as I believe the only person on the call who has done any online dating, you do need to just believe that there must be a million bus crashes going out in the city because all these people (laughs) suddenly disappeared. I can't believe it's not in the newspaper. Right. Yeah, that's true. 20 or 30 men between the ages of 24 and 44 all of a sudden got hit by buses and nobody's talking about it. Uh, or you could just take the Jan Moss approach, which is it's more likely she lost, she just lost interest in the relationship. Which I was like, yeah, this is so why Jan Moss is an asshole. No, he's just Dutch. He's just Dutch. That's yeah. funny. But I, th- I, I liked. I, I thought this was a very clever way to show how far we've gone in terms of the team's culture. Like we saw the big team win, but this to me. This captured like everybody's being fully themselves, right? This one likes Ratatouille. Jamie's gonna gonna mock Sam for liking Ratatouille. Jan Moss is gonna say the truth, but that's damn harsh. Danny's gonna figure out how to put a positive spin on somebody getting hit by a train, and and there's room for everybody, right? Like it's not like anybody gets left out. Like there's this as inclusive a space as could exist. Like they just all just get to like huddle around and be themselves. Yeah, no, it's a great point. Did you guys notice who was right next to Sam and put his head on Sam's shoulder? It was Jamie. Oh, it was Jamie. Wasn't it? I didn't notice that he put his head on Sam's shoulder. I did notice that they were physically very close, which is a big improvement. So like, right. I mean, it's just like a totally, Totally, uh, I don't know, it's just fun. If you're a fan of that, those interpersonal dynamics, which I think we probably all are, uh, it is, it's a nice beat. Um, and then we, uh, so the, you know, they huddle around to see the three dots. 
uh, show up to see if something pops up on Sam's screen and they don't and everybody groans. And now we cut to Rebecca in her office. Uh, she, uh, she is about to, we see that she's about to suggest how about tonight, but then she backs off the text. Um, Keely, who's laying on the couch, tells Rebecca just to answer already. It's been two days. And Rebecca says she doesn't know what to say. And Higgins suggests the truth. What does he say, coach? I'd love to meet up, but I'm worried that you can't live up to the fantasy I've created in my head. So I'm going to let my insecurities keep me from possibly finding my one true love. And I I thought that how far, (laughs) I mean, you know, in, in season one, we had the whole like, um, fuck off. Remember that? Like the ability for him to have said that was so, was literally laughable, but this is like even more than fuck off to me. Like, this is really, like, he's really telling her about herself, and their relationship is at a point where that's not only okay, but expected, embraced. Um, So I thought that was a a cool moment between them. Yeah, for sure. Um, We also get this little sort of exploration of Ratatouille. (laughs) Like, that's worrying, right? Who cares what his favorite fucking movie is? Also, Ratatouille is a goddamn masterpiece. And ironically, it's about snobbery and how good art can come from anywhere. Um, so stop dithering and go fuck your cartoon rat. That made me laugh. Um, I'm not sure if it was yeah. right, but it did make me laugh. Yeah. No, it's good. It's 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 like horses and radish is good. Oh, oh. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Shots I, fired. I I like so much that for however long we remain friends, horses and radishes is going to be an insult. That's great. Phenomenal. <laughs> great job, guys. I love it. I love it. Um, okay, so Rebecca then brings up how y- you know Leslie's marriage is a bloody greeting card of some kind. You know, Higgins says uh, that. In relationship, in 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 response to Rebecca saying, "What if it all goes wrong? You know, everything always goes wrong. All relationships are a nightmare." And Higgins says, "My relationship is the oxygen that gives me life." And she says, "Yeah, well, it's a, ble- a bloody greeting card of some kind." And she uh, brings up how Roy and Keeley are aggravatingly perfect in every way. Uh, boss, what do you think? Uh, well, I actually wanted to go back to the Rebecca saying, "What if it all goes wrong?" I mean, everything always goes wrong. All relationships are a nightmare. And how those two things are actually, in my view of relationships, diametrically opposed. Um, in that, yeah, all relationships go wrong. Something goes wrong. It, it, it's always baffling to me when people get really, really, really sad about divorces. Not the people getting divorced. That makes sense. It's the other people that decry this like, oh, well, it, mer- divorce rates are at whatever percentage or anything. When you get married, we as a society are hoping that it ends in somebody's death. That is what we consider a success, is that it automatically, there is a a dead person involved at one point. I I mean, like, unless there are two dead people, unless we notebook this shit and you die in each other's arms at the age of 88. What we are hoping for is that the love of your life dies before you guys break up. So it seems really weird to me when people are like, oh, something bad is going to happen in the relationship. Yeah, that's the point of the relationship. Like for me, and also I'm coming from an internal sunshine of the spotless mind and a you're the worst. Like 
there's uh, Death Cab for Cutie has a song called What Sarah Said. And there's a line in there where he says, I knew that you were a truth I would rather lose than to never blame beside it all. And I feel like that is totally outside of this idea that relationships are nightmares. Like you get into a relationship because you love somebody so much and they make you happy in so many ways that you're willing to put up with all of the bullshit, but the bullshit is going to be there. Of course it's going to be there. It's fucking life. Like things are going to be bad. It's, it's kind of how things go. It's just that it's going to be pretty good at other times. So I, I felt like putting those two statements so close together reflects that Rebecca thinks unless it's perfect, it's going to be bad. And that that is something she needs to work on. I think that... I'm waiting for your response, Coach. Uh, no, so no, no, no. I, I, I loved that. And, and I think with a lack of nuance, someone could describe what you just said is pessimistic. I actually would argue that is one of the most realistic. I mean, in a, in a, in a hum- stated in a humorous way, but one of the most realistic assessments of all of it, of life, <laughs> of, of our friendships, of all of it. Like it ends. No, it's so crazy. And I, I'm going to go down this road a little bit because like just this year has been a complete, shit show like it's been unbelievable like my dog got killed a friend of mine died like another friend of mine just died last week like it's been like fucking crazy and part of what i've been doing to to process it is to think like well it's amazing right to have shared moments whether with this dog or these people that it means enough to me that I miss it. And so I'm trying to like come to it from that place of like being thankful for, for people and places and events that are that um, great that we miss them when they're gone. Right. So that's that juxtaposition you're pointing to, but the truth is everything must change. Nothing stays the same. Like the song says. And so, yeah, at some point this is going to come to an end. I mean, my my kid is going to head to New York next September. That's a long way off and I am already grieving. I'm going to be a catastrophe. They're going to find me wandering Hollywood Boulevard in a robe. <laughs> I'm going to be a mess. And, I, I I'm still in shock. And no, it's just it's just a real it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Sorry. Go ahead, coach. No, no, no! I'm still a little bit in shock. I didn't know that this is a done a done deal. But thanks for keeping me in the loop about uh, about uh, about New York because apparently this is new. Oh, about New York? I, no, no. It's, I'm glad you've had time to react to it. I'm still stunned. But you know, it's, it's cool. I'm only eight minutes from there, so I'm sorry. It's not like I'm sorry. not like she'll have an uncle out here or anything. You know? Anyway, um, okay. She knows that totally she's fine. going um, to be. She's going to know she can reach out to her uncle. God damn! Oh god, God, I hate this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. I'm so glad we haven't put a lot of time into it. In that case. <laughs> All right, right so right. Uh, Keely, thanks, Rebecca, for the aggravatingly perfect compliment. And Rebecca notes that. And then Keely starts venting about how it's been tough being around Roy all the time. And Roy starts to come into the office right at that time. And to cover the gossip, you get – Rebecca makes sort of a jazzy sound. And then H- Higgins sort of starts scatting. And 
Roy comes in and asks why they're jazz scatting, which <laughs> I was like, that is such a Roy asks, are you talking about me? And Keely says, yes. Rebecca says, no. And Roy gives a few looks to Rebecca and Higgins and then says, big whoop. And then asks Keely if she's ready. I think it's so charming that Roy's like, I don't give a shit. Like, all right. Most people, most people would say, "What? What would what did you say? What were you?" That's right. Say? What were you talking about? Right. Even if they weren't upset, would just would at least care. I also think it's significant that he says "big whoop" because I think we're always gauging who is moving toward or away from the the lasso way, and that's the phrase. That's a phrase he got from Ted in the show's context. Right. So when he's right. sitting in that bucket of ice, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's told Big Whoop. So I just thought that was interesting that that's the phrase he used. That's a great oh, point. Oh, that's a great. Yeah. Yeah, great point. I had not picked up on that. One of the things that I thought was that um, it, it, as compared to Nate, who was recorded saying Wonder Kid and obviously caught in this embarrassing moment, he cannot let it go. Roy stumbles into people he knows are talking about him, mm-hmm. and he is confident enough that he's like, "Ah, eh, it's fine. It, mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you be talking about me?" So it like the levels, uh, the displays of confidence in those two different ways that Nate can't let people think bad things about him. Roy doesn't care when people are actively talking about him. Okay, and then so. Um... Uh, Keely says she's ready to go, and but on her way out, you know, Keely's like Rebecca, you know, answer the banter person, um, and then they leave, and Higgins and Rebecca start jazz scatting. Rebecca does a little shoulder, the shoulder thing, and it's funny because this was be- like almost universally beloved online. I didn't buy it at all. I didn't. I like didn't it love it or buy it. I didn't like it. Yeah. Okay, good. Do these people work? Do they have jobs? Because I'm pretty <laughs> sure that they are managing a, a football yeah, club. I agree. I, we really, I never got my episode where we see Rebecca hustle for a new new um, sponsor. But um, yeah, the jazz scatting. That's also, you can get paid to jazz scat. I think, no, actually, no, you can't. Okay, so uh, we cut to later that night. Keely's working on her laptop. Roy comes downstairs. We're continuing this. <sighs> subplot of them not getting along, which I'm really not invested in, but fine. Um, Roy says hello, and asks if she's almost done working. She says no, she's got a long to-do list and Roy starts to kiss her arm and and you know, she she gives, gives her arm, she takes her arm back, but then he goes to her neck and she loves it, but then she's trying to push him off. She really has work to do. Um, Coach, what do you have to say about that? Well, I like as this is unfolding, that I think the lazy version of this is Keely, you know, saying I gotta work, and but but it's 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 as nuanced as the rest of their relationship, and I love that about it. I love that it is it really isn't like I can't take you being around me anymore because I hate you. It's just I can't do this all the time and have it be all I do. It, 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 it actually is Keely giving us as a character what it sounds like you've been annoyed you're not getting from Rebecca, right? Which is like, yes, all these fun, charming moments are great, but I have work to do. 
And um, I like that it isn't just purely like he's a jerk. Right. You know, as we're about to get into a moment where he, okay, great. You want to be left alone? I'll leave you alone. Oh, well, here's a lot of, there's a lot of good things in here. One, one of them is I think historically the gender roles are flopped. You know, you have like the wife sort of being like, oh, pay attention to me kind of thing, right? It's always like a, or historically, it's like, uh, you know, the, the, the man has to work and yeah, the woman yeah, yeah, is all, yeah. you know, so I really, I like that that was switched. Um, and then, uh, the other thing is, um, it, it's, it's like weird to be rejected, even like a m- tiny little rejection and a smaller man would take it personally and <laughs> be like, well, fuck you. All right. All right. Like, and then, you know, it's like a thing. It would be a thing. Mm-hmm. And this is, it's funny because I watched this and I'm like, holy fuck, I'm old. I, like, I don't remember. I was trying to remember back to like this type of relationship angst or this type of, you know, having to set boundaries or, you know, it's just fascinating to watch and horrifying. Um, it reminds me of when Harry met Sally, when, when the, um, uh, the, the Bruno Kirby and, um, it was the two best friends, uh, Bruno Kirby and, um, Carrie Fisher. Uh, yeah, Carrie Fisher. God, why couldn't I think Carrie Fisher? And the, the great Carrie Fisher were saying, like, oh, God, like, please tell me I never have to be out there again. <laughs> like, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, I, sometimes I, sometimes I watch this and I go, oh, my God, like, Jesus Christ. And, and hearkening back to, uh, bosses very, what coach labeled as a realistic take on relationships. Um, <laughs> the pain wow. with which wow. like I I could feel you working through that and being like, don't say anything cynical. Don't don't say anything mean. Great. <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it's it's like you know, like if I said uh write write a song in coach's voice, you know, like or if I if I had to go um, okay. All right. On, on the, before this, before this podcast, um, coach was running around, had run his son to, to school. And then I, I was on the phone and, 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 uh, boss could hear me talking to, to coach. And I got off the phone. And I said, God, I fucking hate that guy so much. And I said to <laughs> boss, I, if I said to coach, if you, if you called him right now and you said, what did, what did, uh, what did coach say about you as soon as he hung up? He'd be like, yes, he, I'm positive that that's what he said. So when I think about if I had to do a relationship summary based on what I know from boss's personality, it would have gone very much the same <laughs> of what we heard. Oh, oh, oh. Um, which is a, which is a very realistic take and, and it encompasses all of your experiences. And, you know, I, I, I think I probably wouldn't categorize it as uh, the point of a relationship is to is to watch someone die or whatever. <laughs> <There was> a- <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, I, w- I wouldn't say that that's the point. I would say that that is, uh, according to American straight society, the goal. That is a sign that you had a successful relationship, that you watched your partner die. And I just always think it's morbid that people are like, if you end a relationship on decent terms and decide you should no longer be together, that's a failure. But if you watch your loved one slip away from terminal cancer, all of a sudden it's great. Like that's fucked up guys. It's a little bit fucked up. I'm squinting right now. I'm, I'm, tr- I'm trying to, trying so to picture this is so what great. percentage of your, of your blood is made of acid, but <laughs> it, it's, it's 
I, I did one time say that, um, that something about how I was filled with piss and vinegar and a buddy of mine was like, yeah, no, that's not exactly right. You're more like battery acid and phlegm. And I'm like, that's fair. That's a, that's a, oh, that's a fair hit. Wow. That's funny. <laughs> well, I, I certainly get it. I certainly get it. And I love, uh, I love, it's always, um, it's always great to hear how, because we all adore each other on this podcast and, uh, we adore the public at large and, and the people who would, uh, willingly waste this much time listening to us. And so we all have different relationship experiences and mine are, you know, if you had caught me the, the, you know, in the four years after my divorce, I'm, I promise I would sing a different tune about relationships than I do now. Um, and so it's, it's a subset of what you've, what you've individually experienced. And so we, when we watch, uh, Keely and Roy, you know, I was charmed by it and it, it just, it's just a lot to remember the, you know, it, how healthy it is to set boundaries at the right point. And there's nothing bad about this. It's really good. Um, and you know, she says, uh, she has a lot of work to do and, and, uh, she just tells him, you know, sit quietly over there and read his book and he growls and then he goes and sits quietly and, and reads his book. And that really works for her. Uh, you doing exactly what I tell you is so fucking hot. <laughs> and, um, uh, I thought it was a really funny transition where she jumps on top of him and makes out. And, um, then we cut to, uh, sprinklers, uh, popping up in real, it reminded me of the, the train going into the tunnel image. That is funny. Yeah. I did not catch that, but that is very funny. Yeah. 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 So, nice um, now we're in uh, Dr. Sharon's office again. She's talking on the phone. Ted knocks and comes in. He walks past Dr. Sharon and sits down. And she's the first to say hello. And he says, like, what's up, Doc? But, you know, he's not as peppy as usual. And uh, she says, I'm surprised you, you came back. And then what does he say, boss? I don't quit things. Which... Oh boy. I don't know. Did you have something to say about it, coach? Cause you, I've got a lot. I think this whole scene is a lot. This, this whole episode is a lot. And this is interesting. We laughed, I think a lot less in this episode, but we started to make some, we started to make a lot of ground up, um, with regard to, uh, some of the emotional burden that some of the characters have been carrying, specifically Ted. And, the, and one of the things is that when Ted has this burden, he, de he is detached. He was more detached in this episode than ever before because he couldn't keep the mask on, keep the, the personality going and then still be, you know, trying to rev himself up to, to, to do this type of deep dive into himself. And so it's a really interesting scene that, you know, yeah, I don't quit things, which, which has a lot of, you know, it made me think of his divorce. Um, but that's a, it's almost a curse to put on someone. Um, I remember my dad used to say, winners never uh, quit and quit. Quitters never win and winners never quit. And, and then as you get older, you're like, no, no, sometimes it's, it's really good to like, <laughs> to identify a situation where you're like, yes. ah, fuck this. Like, yep. you know, it's, it's almost like a point of maturity and, and it, it lets you get past a certain uh, tier of, I don't know, like a weird black and white binary, never quit kind of thing. And Ted hasn't, hasn't gotten there yet. Yes. 
And I think there's, he's, I still feel like that's the character Ted Lasso that he's constructed, that he's going to live, that says that. Right? I mean, he's constructed this character that he's playing. Even when he's when he finally lets Michelle go, beautiful scene, unbelievable scene. He, he, he says, right. I promised myself I would never quit anything. Like his his moment right. there right. is about that. His moment, not that it's not about her and not about the family, but it's they represent a thing. Like they, there's an argument to be made, like other than that she helped you create this thing that you decided you were gonna create where you got to play the role of Ted Lasso, fantastic and fun husband and dad. What do you love about her? Right. And I'm not sure he'd have a quick answer to that. Well, certainly not not as quick I mean, maybe as maybe he could give you something. Yeah, the the quitting is first and foremost, and and it it hints at a deep emotional trauma around quitting or giving up. And and so, is this what you're going to allude to, boss? Yeah, definitely some of that. Um, I think also. One of the interesting things about it, Ted says, uh, I said I'd never quit anything in my whole life. Michelle says, you're not quitting. You're just letting me go. And I want to say, if not the following episode, the episode after that, uh, when Rebecca is doing karaoke, she's singing Let It Go. And that triggers Ted's panic attack. Like the actual phrase Let It Go is what does it for him. Because now he's associated the idea of letting something go and moving past it and growing outside of that as something bad. Like he's incorporated with failure, with failure, right. He can't, his entire idea is not, he isn't able to reframe a, a topic in a way that shows how it could be healthy. He instead incorporates it into this unhealthy idea of never quitting on anything. So, I mean, Oh God, it's a lot. Uh, the, the only other thing I was going to say is that he is so angry during this session that I could tell Ted the character went home and ruminated over the discussion all night or all week, however long it's been since he last saw Dr. Sharon. Like he has been obsessing about it and figuring figuring out a way to make this her fault so that he doesn't have to feel bad about his inability to do this thing. Like, he's going to put it all on her. She's the bad guy. She's doing this. I didn't screw this up. Well, I know this may be hard to believe because I'm generally such a fucking sweetheart. But there, I have, over the course of my life... <laughs> I, have I don't want to laugh my... at that because you are a sweetheart. But also, sweethearts are allowed to get fucking pissed sometimes. I And, and, th- and, and I this know, one does. I know you see me as Santa Claus, but <laughs> Santa Claus going to cut him. <laughs> exactly. And and one thing that, you know, I've done a lot of work around it. And one thing that has been said that's just stuck with me, I think it's like such a basic truth, is that anger is the bodyguard of sadness. And yes, I'm I love that. You told yeah. me that a couple of weeks ago. I and love that. Yeah. I just think it's like 
it hits me like it feels like it hits the truth of it hits me in some new way periodically and i'm just like yeah yeah like damn it's even more true than i thought last time and as i watch ted here really start to scramble and it's like all his gift all his little tricks and and whatnot are go, go away um I think you see that he's like, uh-oh, we're getting way too close to it. Um, I think of uh, Brene Brown talks when she does her, the TED Talk she did about, you know, when she had her breakdown. And she specifically says that she had to go to a, a specific kind of therapist because therapists who see therapists are therapists who have, like, better bullshit detectors. And so I think Dr. Sharon, whether she actually does see other therapists or not, is of that ilk. And so whereas Ted could probably dazzle somebody of less skill, she's just not... It's like the yips thing. Like, she's like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. Like, here's what's really going on, and we're going to deal with it. Um yeah. Anger is the bodyguard of sadness. I, I think it's great. Um, okay, so uh they have their their interaction. He he lights her up for uh you know the fact that she's getting paid and, and here you are charging an hourly rate for only 50 minutes of work. Like I said, it's bullshit. He gets up, slams the doors, he leaves, and she just sighs and puts her elbow on the desk. Um well, and uh one thing with yeah. that is that also he says that he's only she's only helping him because she's getting paid that there's an insinuation that he she doesn't care about him she doesn't care about his problems that what she's doing is bullshit because you sit there and you judge me and you pretend to know my problems but you're only here because you're getting paid uh which outside of the like if you're getting pissed off because somebody charges you 60 minutes for a 50 minute session, I promise you they're taking notes. They're doing stuff for the full 60 minutes. That wasn't right. his problem. It was that he was just focusing on anything he could do to make her seem like she was disingenuous and that there was a nefarious reason behind what she was doing in, in that she was getting paid for it. Yeah, no, it's, it's exactly right. Um, and uh, when she saw us, she, she they feature the bird again in the shot. Um, and the bird, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on it one more time. You guys uh, already mentioned it a couple of times, but um, I'll get to it when we come back finally for the next scene. Um, Nate is walking down the hallway, looking at his phone, still obsessing on social media. One of the articles reads, is Nathan Shelley ready to manage his own team? Um now, uh, Rebecca passes by, but she's also looking at her phone, but she's on banter and she hasn't replied. You know, she's uncertain and sort of nervous. And then she bumps right into Sam, um, the little coinky dink. And I thought it was a cute choice because you get to at least see them interact and it's very polite. Uh, and Sam is these machines, huh? We've never been so connected yet never further apart. And she nods and smiles. And he says, is that what you were going to say? And I was like, there's no way that's what she was going to say. And she's like, yes, it was. Is that how you guys read that too? That, that she was not going to say that. I don't know. I I actually took her at her word, but I would have to now rewatch it. I didn't consider that she actually wasn't going to say that. It just didn't seem like a thing that she would say, but she kind of liked the sound of it when he said it is huh. my take. And then she's I like, yeah, that. yeah. And yeah, I get that. You know, she's like, oh yeah, I would. Yeah. And that's like mm-hmm. kind of charms her in the in the same way that 
some of the things he says in banter sort of charm her and she kind of goes with it. Anyway, I thought it was like a little tip off to the fact that he is more substantive in his thinking than she might otherwise have guessed, which is a little foreshadowing. So uh, they they politely go on their way. Um, we cut back to Nada's desk. He's still on his phone. Uh, Will, the kit man, enters singing the new pens have arrived. And Nate doesn't even look up from his phone. And Will's like, okay. Uh, he just sets him aside. And then Colin walks in and bumps into Will. Will apologizes for not seeing Colin. And he points to his vest and says, because of the camouflage on the, uh, on the, his down jacket. And I thought, oh, it's clever. Uh, Colin's very likable. Will's very likable. And uh, their interaction is nice. I think it's important that Colin, think about how Colin used to treat the kit man, right? Like this is, this is us seeing what the lasso way is supposed to look like. No one's above or better than anyone. There was a, there's a moment there. They almost bumped into each other. Colin tells a quick little joke, actually eats the right. Like basically says to Will, no, 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 no. You don't have to bow and scrape. (laughs) <laughs> right, because I'm a player and you're the kit man, I'll make the joke right. about me, keep it moving. So I think it's like the opposite of the hierarchical, you know, who do I get to punch down at that that we've witnessed with uh, developing with Nate. Totally. Um, I also like that uh, Colin sort of took responsibility for the collision because he's so well hidden. It wasn't just that he was like, oh, don't worry mm-hmm. about it. No worries. You're fine. It was actually like, oh, it's my fault. Mm-hmm. Although in a pretty clever way. It is a quantum improvement from season one, Colin being a weenie. Um, yeah, to- totally different. And he's fully uh, ensconced in the uh, in the lasso way. And then he does exactly the right thing again. Hey, uh, could I have a word? Um, uh, and Nate gr- sort of grunts at him and says, yeah, doesn't even turn around. Uh, I just wondered, uh, well, I was wondering if I'd done anything to annoy you. Nate finally looks up at his phone, from his phone, he pauses, huge sigh, and then turns around to face Colin. And Colin, like, despite that, which is so off-putting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, it was awful. Oof. It was oh, truly God, just, awful. That body language. Yeah, it was just awful. Um, uh, he says, it's just because I felt like you got angry at me for taking the piss yesterday, but Danny and Jamie did the same thing. You didn't get mad at them. And then... Um, Oh God! Which one of you? One of you guys has to. I can't. Whew. All right, Coach, you're you're up. You're gonna do. You're gonna do Nate's lines here. All right. So, oh yeah, I can. Yeah, no, I can explain that. Um, you see, Jamie and Danny are like Picasso or Gauguin, and and he goes pedophile, pedophiles. I absolutely adored that line because again, like the status game we play, and actually. Colin is correct, right? And and so you just sort of like, oh, wow, look at this. You know what I mean? But they get to be remembered as these masters, right? And um, he's That's bought, point, he's bought yeah. into that. So I thought it was, yeah, pretty pretty powerful. Like, Colin's actually speaking, like, that's the reality. It's not just the brilliance. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And he says, he corrects him and says, they're artists. And uh, keep going, Coach. Artists, they're artists. And uh, Colin, you can paint too, but um, your work doesn't end up in museums. It hangs at, well, you're like a painting at a Holiday Inn, you know? You don't inspire. You don't move people. You're there. You cover a bloodstain. You do the job. So 
just do the job, all right? And he spins around in his chair. And there I find myself saying, it's sort of, again, not the Lasso way, because Ted Lasso gets... Ted Lasso gets why Roy gets his kebab where he gets his kebab, not someplace where he needs to be Ted, where he needs to be Roy Kent to get a table. Ted Lasso would fully have something to say about the kinds of paintings that do end up at the Holiday Inn as opposed to um, hanging in the Louvre, right? And so I think, again, even in this, even if we agree, which I'm not sure that I do, that Colin is, you know, gum off the bottom of your shoe compared to everybody else, even if I believed it, the lasso way is to find what is great about Colin and help him be that, not tell him why he's not good in the way others are. Yeah. And he, and you know, totally, totally right. And uh, a potential flaw in the lasso way <laughs> is um, the inability to recognize that somebody got to go. And yep. So the concept with the lasso way is everybody is redeemable. Everybody can be repaired. Everybody deserves a shot and another shot. And everybody deserves the, t- uh, the people to, to rally around them and get them to a better place because everybody's worthy of that. Um, we used to have a fantasy football draft and um, you're going to love this reference coach. Uh, we years and years and years, we would go um, people uh, in the fantasy football league lived all over the country. So we would go to uh, the cheapest place to go was Vegas. So we would all go to Vegas. None of us, some guys, I guess gambled, but they never did while we were at this draft. And we used to say like, what would happen if the world ended? There was a, there was a one guy in the league was just a, God, he was a terrible guy. And <laughs> our, our, d- d- do you remember this? Do you remember that? You Absolutely. know what I'm talking about? I know Coach? exactly what this is going. And we we're, would say like that. They said like, "Oh, sorry, go ahead, boss. What are you asking?" We're talking about Dan, aren't we? <laughs> that's that's so funny. hilarious. No, no, no <laughs> that's that's funny because Dan is the greatest person ever to walk the planet. Um, no, it's another guy, and and I just God, I never trusted him, and you know, we didn't talk about it out loud, but I was like, uh, uh, it just, I gotta whatever, and somehow it came up. Hey, what would you do if like the world ended? We had to like barricade in this house and just figure things out. And um, I was like, the first thing I would do is just kill this one guy. Like this, I would just like <laughs> take him out of the equation because I knew that he would be the weak. Do you remember this coach? A hundred percent. I told, I have told this story within the last month because I was talking about knowing who you're dealing with. So I'm, t- I not only don't, don't, do I know it, it was such a clear moment of, yes, you have to understand who you are dealing with in a given situation. So, yeah, very much. Yeah. No, I, we, we, we would joke like he would be selling our, our, our food on the black market. Like he would do any, he'd be negotiating with people outside the house to sneak them. It would just, we just knew you could not trust this guy. And so it's addition by subtraction because you cannot, you can't like, is everyone redeemable? That's the question. Um, and I think that the, the question becomes a complicated one because, you know, we're watching Nate go down a pretty ugly path. But who it, who within the world of Richmond would have thought that we could get to a place where Jamie's resting his head on Sam's shoulder? And so I think it's also complicated that way because it's like – 
yeah, sometimes people have to be cut loose, but where is that point? Right. And I think it is hard. I think it's a, yeah. Yeah. it's a flaw in the system, but it's almost like it has to be there. Like, I don't know that you can have it without that. Well, I think there's also a very strong understanding to Ted's credit, even though I think there's a lot of things that he doesn't do great uh, to his credit. He doesn't think that he needs to personally be responsible for saving everyone because he never gave Rupert a chance. Because Rupert isn't his responsibility because he has a responsibility to Rebecca and the team. And so, like, from the jump, the worst person on the show is not going to get Ted's attention and love. That That's fantastic. That is a great insight. Thank you. Well, thank you. Um, I, I think the only other thing is that when Jamie first came back, he wanted Ted to help him. And Ted was like, no, you're not my responsibility either. So I think that he Ted does have that in him. I just don't know if he knows that he needs to do it yet. I just worry about what happens after this podcast when boss no longer has coach to give her affirmation. (laughs) (laughs) Never, never. One of us is going to watch the other die bone. That's how much I love you. (laughs) 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 Um, Okay. So beard overhears this whole conversation with Colin. The book in his hand is about a boy by Nick Hornby, which talks about, uh, you know, 12 year old boy having problems at school, trying to find his identity. So I think that was intentionally put in there, obviously. And, um, uh, Beard goes back to reading his book and we cut to Ted. Ted is walking down the hall. Um, he, uh, smells something precarious and enters the boot room where Keely is, uh, smoking a cigarette. And he says he thought she quit. She's, Oh, oh, I have. This is just covering up the smell of the boots. So we find out that she needs some space and then Higgins and Rebecca enter and they, Rebecca says, Oh, we knew Keely would be in here. Um, and they say, this is the room where Keely and I decided that smoking doesn't count. And, um, Ted is trying to figure out what's happening here. Um, and Higgins puts a pipe in his mouth. Did you guys notice the pipe coming out of Higgins mouth? Yes. Ridiculously on point. You might as well still have the beard. I just loved it. Um, so she's Ted, uh, Ted is playing catch up here. He doesn't know um, all the office gossip. And um, Ted asks, what does she need space from? And she says, Roy, he's sitting in my office reading the Da Vinci Code. He keeps muttering on about the Knights Templar. That made me <laughs> laugh. That was funny. <laughs> if you've read the book, like that's a very funny yeah. thing to say about somebody who's reading it. Yeah. It's so good. Um, God, I love Roy. Um, uh, Will Will enters. Uh, he's holding some shoeboxes and whistling, and didn't mean to interrupt, but came to the boot room to get some boots. He coughs from the smoke. Uh, Ted welcomes him in, and then you know Keely, you know, says, you know, obviously she thinks Roy is the cat's pajamas. Um, you familiar with that term, Coach? I am. I am, and I, yeah, yes, I am, and I think it's 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 relevant as the as as the the episode goes on. But I thought it was a, an interesting way for her to express that, a very specific way, I guess. How old are they? That that Keely would be saying the cat's pajamas. Why? There's got to be newer slang. Who came up with this and thought that they should put it into the mouth of a almost thirty year old, fairly trendy woman? Why? Why the cat's pajamas? 
who let that get by? You know, okay. I like. I just assumed maybe you know, different culture. Maybe some that's something that somebody would say. But it is. It is definitely a very old timey twenty three skadooish feeling kind of a deal. Yeah, so, man. Yeah, I got you. Like yeah. twenty twenty three skadoo. <laughs> is one of them the that's bee's so knees? Because I don't understand. This, that's so funny when they used to tie an onion yeah. to their belt and go down and the trolley cost two cents at the time which was the style uh old old very old i what is the new term look i think roy is not the bomb i don't know what the, not the bomb i do know that that's already passe right right it's it's whatever someone of it's whatever a younger person would write in the rewrite of the line that says the bomb, but I'm not sure I have that on lock. Well, Rebecca, whatever that might be, Rebecca says stop, Keely, stop it. Auditioning your complaints, which I thought, oh god, I gotta think about that more. Auditioning your complaints, like your complaints are not valid in and of themselves, so you need to qualify them somehow. Right. Right. And, right. And I'm like, that's. Hmm. I mean, well, I think she feels like she can't say it because what an awful thing to say that I don't want to spend time around you. Right. But I think part of what this episode ends up being about as we hide in a room and pretend we don't smoke, but we really do smoke, but we're not talking about right? all these things is do you have the courage to show up as your full self and speak your real truth? And I think that's throughout the episode, right? And right. and and where people do and don't have totally shifts what's going on. I mean, in some ways, as much as in some ways, as much as Nate is brutally honest, I think some people would call it. I think he's just brutal. Like I think what is really going on there is I'm trying to feel big. It's not working. Maybe if I can establish how small someone else is, I'll finally feel big. That's what, to me, I get out of Nate's behavior. Um, so it's those who, whereas Will actually, you know, as much as we say nobody does their job, Will is always working. Will has always got a towel, some pens. Here's your soup. Here's the towels. Here's dip. Like that fool earns his paycheck. <laughs> Even right now. They're in his way. Like Rebecca, Rebecca, Rebecca looked at him like, why are you reaching across my face? I'm like, why is your face in front of the boots? Is the question you got to offer. I saw, I saw, I saw that too. So there are certain moments. Why, why is your face in front of damn boots? Move your head. I, 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 I was like, she gave him like an annoyed look when he was like, and I was like, oh, every once in a while, there's a Rebecca thing. Where I go, mm. and I remember like that she has a chauffeur, and right, I go right, mm. okay, yeah, she, yeah. She's just accustomed Sorry. to my face is here. Everyone should adjust, it, and that's just her life. Like I don't, t- I don't mean that as a character flaw, but yes, I think she's got a driver. Like think about all that means, like <laughs> about how her life goes. She's yeah. her response yeah. to Nate not being able to get a table at a restaurant was to buy the restaurant. That is a thing. If if Keely doesn't say, no, 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 don't do that, she's going to just buy it. Like, that's a thing she's going to do. Right. That's her life. No one reaches across her face, period, ever. Oof. Anyway, great points. Um, they have a little 
stupid thing about <laughs> things that end up in bottles that I groaned about. Um, uh, that's how we get pingles. Ugh, All right. And vodka, extra virgin olive oil, and messages. But again, he's playing the Ted Lasso character and telling us the truth about him. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, 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 no. Let's not denigrate bottling shit up now. Very true. Yes. You know. It's an excellent point. So as the token Midwesterner in this group, I do need to say there is something to be said about bottling things up at times. I definitely would not go as far as Ted in saying uh, everything needs to be. But I think that they're like, I don't know, every close relationship that I have with anybody, they do something that annoys me that I would rather they not do. And if I bring it up one more goddamn time, then they're just going to be annoyed with me. So at some point, you just have to overlook some stuff, not everything. But if for the functionality of a relationship, I'm going to ignore that you leave your socks next to the hamper instead of in the fucking hamper where they go. And just pretend that it doesn't exist and ignore it for a little bit. At least until the laundry is done. If Daphne puts you up to that, I resent both of you. At any rate. (laughs) (laughs) There's there's such a, there's an instant solution for that. Like an instant solution. Which is? Just put them in. No, no, no. Nobody nobody appreciates that. I'll just say as, as someone who is the primary caregiver in my home uh for for six people mm. um everybody walks by full 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 uh sinks of dishes everybody walks by uh little wrappers from the ones that kill me are like the wrappers for the straws that go into like capri suns and little snack oh snack god those fucking wrapper those just a, a clear cellophane wrapper um and so when it becomes their job is the only time people so so like for me if i heard, if i saw oh, someone in your life puts socks near the thing i'd be like that's great great your job is the laundry now congratulations like they will they will just instantly after a couple of weeks they're like no i'm not going to throw my socks on the floor anymore this is that it would be that simple anyway that's just, that's uh, a brilliant solution i will try to implement it i will only say that there are people in my family who I won't name by their relationship to me and just name them by their name, Kathy. I have watched her pick up a piece of garbage while she was cooking (laughs) and move it to a different part of the counter. Like it's garbage. It goes in the garbage. It's the end of the onion and you need to put it in the garbage. And instead she goes to the effort of picking it up and putting it next to the sink. It's mind blowing. No, no, there right. There there is that. I I also do a thing where I um uh unlike coach who is has a absolutely mellifluous gorgeous singing voice, mine is like a crusty the clown or worse, <laughs> he probably has a better singing voice than I. And I will pick up any instrument I can find and I will start singing about what are the things that belong on the floor and and everybody like that's funny do these things belong on the floor you know and they'll be like oh dear god fine we'll pick them up dad um anyway um okay so uh yes so we bottle things up from time to time the midwesterner approves in certain situations um and um jamie walks in and it's funny because we don't get a lot of jamie in this episode but what we do get is just like chef's kiss good there's no small roles only small actors right right my god 
He's just so good. So he walks in absentmindedly, says, oh, I will. You think you could take me name off my shirt and put it back on, but bigger? And then he looks up and goes, the fuck? <laughs> so Perfect. Uh, I love it. I love it so much. Uh, and then Will immediately goes, oh, they're talking about Roy. And Keely pretends like, what? You know, Will clearly doesn't know any of the history of it. And Jamie goes, what is it? What does he call uh, Roy boss? Grumpy old twat. <laughs> Grumpy old twat. Is what? Right away. That's his response. And, and of course, co- coach, coach Lasso. Uh, now the grumpy part I agree with, but the other two words I take umbrage with. Um, and Keely's correct to defend Roy. Um, and she says, you know, he's none of those things because she spends every minute of every second of every hour of every day with him. And she starts to tell Keely, uh, Rebecca starts to tell Keely what she needs, uh, to tell him, like she's going to lecture him right as Roy walks in the room. And he asks if they're talking about him, and the entire room says yes. And Jamie says, "Definitely." I snorted, absolutely I, snorted. So- Definitely <laughs> took me out. Took me out. Oh, uh, it's so good. Jamie's accent, uh, Kayla. Uh, definitely. Um. Okay, so uh, Roy doesn't care, and he's like, "All right, ready to go?" She says, "Yeah." Hands a cigarette to Rebecca. Rebecca winks at her. And um, uh, Keely asks Roy how he's doing. And he brings up how the Knights Templar business is fucking with his head, which is so goddamn funny. And we we have a little button on the scene where we'll find cigarette butts in one of the boots. Later that night, to continue the subplot, we are at Keely. Uh, you have something to say, Coach, before we move on to? Well, just to quickly, I just think it's about keeping dirty secrets so those the cigarette oh. butts yes work is a great no, button but when i saw that i thought like damn that's clever the whole thing is he about keeping dirty this is secrets a dirty secret well oh. i think yeah i think you know i think keely is keeping her secret right and that's where she goes this is where we hide we smoke cigarettes but we act like we're not smoking anymore you know and we're in here and we're having this conversation about Roy but I'm not I'm pretending to him like everything's honky dork but I think it's this is where we keep dirty secrets okay yeah all right I'll go with that I mean I thought it was weird I was like how come Roy's not cluing into the fact that like everybody but him is in this conversation but then I thought eh he wouldn't give a shit um later that night Achilles She's watching an episode of the Sex in the City, which some people say is the best episode of Sex in the City. Um, I am not an avid uh, uh, Sex in the City uh, fan, but season four, episode 13, The Good Fight, and which Carrie Bradshaw's relationship struggles mirror those of Keeley's. And um, Roy comes downstairs and asks, what's up? And um, he's still holding his book, Vinci Code. Uh, he says he's going to read and he sits down right sort of in front of her, sort of between her and the TV. He's not obscuring her view, but he's like right there. Um, the couple is fighting on screen. Uh, the episode continues. Carrie Bradshaw argues about, um, uh, you know, needing her own space on screen. And then there's a lot of shut ups. And uh, Roy interrupts the show to tell Keely that you can't put, he can't put the book down because the chapters are so short. Uh, it's right when Carrie uh, says shut up on the screen and then they are shutting up, shutting up, shutting up. And um, 
Roy asks if he wants, uh, what is it? What's the exact moment? He goes to talk about one of the spiked belts, geezers, and then Keely just says, fucking hell, Roy. She like explodes. And Roy's like, asks if she wants it, uh, wants her to read, wants him to read it to her. And she has a, you know, big response to that. Um, and what does she say, boss? No, I just want to watch my show and you're fucking ruining it for me. Which, yeah, ruining it probably isn't the best term, but also I feel it. Yeah, well, I, she's standing up at that point. I love, I love that it happens this way because I'm all like, it's so imperfect. Like, I think the lazy version of this just doesn't give us this moment because really, I can make the argument like, Keely. You're the one who's getting it wrong right now. Like, how is this guy supposed to know what it is that's bothering you? How should he, why would he have a single clue? And then you're yelling at him like you should be yelling at yourself because if you had told him back when he scared you by the fridge, then maybe he would have stayed his ass upstairs. I mean, you know, so like, it's an interesting (laughs) moment because she has a legitimate thing. You know, we all need our space in life, but the way she goes about it is not, you know, right in quotes. And I, and I, and I appreciate it. Isn't it, isn't it like a man to blame the woman? (laughs) Isn't it like a man? Wow. I mean, as, as, as the woman and the one who just uh, vouched for bottling things up, I think that this is an indication that she shouldn't have been bottling it up. Like if you're going to commit yourself to bottling something, then you bottle it forever. It, it's, it actually isn't pickles or vodka or anything else because you do not bring that up later. Like either you figure out a way to address it. it a part of bottling it up, I should say, is figuring out how, when, where, under what circumstances to address the issue and then deciding later, is this something I'm actually going to keep fighting about or am I going to put this to bed? Like, it, it, there's a lot of negotiation that goes into that that she skipped over entirely. She was like, I'm not going to bring it up because it's going to make me sound like an asshole. And then she turns into an asshole. So like, you- well, it can, it can also be, it can, it can actually be, there are things that I have not brought up because I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings or I don't, you know, it's like a, out of, you know, I'll convince Concern. myself that yeah. it's consideration for them and, 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 and say like, okay, I can probably, there's some God complex stuff in there too. Like I can, I can, shoulder this i'm stronger than they are or whatever some something along those lines that you tell yourself in your head as the you know the pressure cooker starts to to boil but i think sometimes there's the owning of that and as someone who's actually like actually seriously as i talk about therapy has specifically worked over the last year on a whole lot of bottling i've done over these 50 years of mine um the this this moment is the like the what is on the warning label for that bottle because when you put things yes. under pressure like sometimes they just blow like like you know what i mean and i can think of so many times where it wasn't necessarily that the thing the person did when i blew up was not it was wrong and it probably did deserve a reaction but if i'm and if i'm honest they're receiving a whole bottle's worth of reaction and they didn't provide a bottle's worth of stimulus for that reaction. They're just the person who's standing wow. there when it blows. Pre- pressure makes diamonds, coach. <laughs> I think a very, 
<laughs> a very uh, a very wise person on the show said that, right? Pressure makes pearls. Uh, yes, correct. I, I really get it. I, re- I get it. And as a witness to the results of your therapy and a person who's sometimes in the past been the person around <laughs> when your shit fucking blew off. Uh, <laughs> I thank you for your hard work. Uh, um, okay. So um, uh, what I love about this, my favorite part about this, this thing was when she fucking flips out and Roy goes, Whoa, because that moment is so, it's so clear. He's like, what the fuck? Where the fuck is this coming from? Like she just explodes and it's so incongruent. Uh, you just like, okay. The level of anger over me talking over your show is not whatever the fuck I'm seeing on your face. Right. Um, right. And what so, yeah, on? it was just very mm-hmm. clear. You know, she complains about these things. She says, I don't want you reading or turning me on or being there all the time. And he goes, you don't want me to turn you on? Which I was like, that's that's just such a, a male response. Um, no, yes, I do. Sometimes, just mm-hmm. not all the time. Sometimes I need to be by myself. And then he, you know, asks, he's like, this is what you've been talking to everyone about? And she says, yeah, you don't care. But you don't care. And he says, I didn't when I thought it was usual stuff like gossip or how much hair I leave in the dream. And she says, it's a lot of fucking hair. <laughs> Which is funny because... When it opens up on on his hairy chest in the in the first shot of the show, I was like, God, between this and catastrophe, you know, like British shows don't shy away from like a hirsute man. And American shows will make sure that shit is clean shaved. Like every every protagonist is hairless. You know, it's like a f- fucking elf um in America. Interesting. But, I don't yeah, think I've given that much hair. thought, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um yeah, I would also, this is also, you'll notice, uh, you don't get a lot of world leaders with a five o'clock shadow. Like if somebody has like a, like a visible beard after they shave, you know, there's just people with certain lighter skin and, and heavier beard. You just don't get a lot of like world leaders out of that. It's really fascinating stuff. Anyway, I don't know why. Um, okay. So, um, uh, you've been making it out to everyone. Like I'm following you around like a needy, clingy fucking fridge magnet. And he's like, oh, I'm an idiot. Oh, fuck this. And she doesn't say anything, and Roy storms out. And then she starts crying. And this is where I was like, oh, God, man, I haven't had a relationship like that. And Oh, well, well ever since it's, well, it's been the bee's knees for me. So, Oh, thank you. Thank you for <laughs> bringing that up. Yes, thank you. Yeah, no, trying to think. Since <laughs> 35 skidoo. What was it? 30? I don't know the number before skidoo. Um, 23, 23 skidoo. 23 skidoo. That's it. 23 skidoo. Um, okay. So, um, now, so any, any other final thoughts about that before we jump to the, uh, to the practice pitch? No. Good. I, I think right, well, qu- quickly, on. I will, t- I will toss this in actually. I think Roy has gone ahead and made himself fully vulnerable to her. And he's now found out, oh, we're not, we're not on equal footing on, on that in terms of that plane. And I think that's part of the, I'm an idiot, whatever, right? Like how vulnerable do you allow yourself to be? I was having a conversation recently where somebody talked about like, 
that last 10% of loving someone that like you hold on to. And if you really get there in a relationship, like even that you open up and risk the hurt that could come with it by like being totally vulnerable. And I think Roy is saying, all right, yeah, let's do that. That sounds awesome. I'd like to try that out. And when he, when he gets the sense that maybe, you know, Oh my God, I've now done that, but the other person hasn't, I'm showing her, her, I'm showing her mine, but she's not showing me hers. Um, I think that's what sends him out of the, the room, the way he goes. Yeah, I think you're right. It's pretty, it's pretty stunning. Um, and so he just, he just, he just skips. Um, I, so in defense of Keeley, just a little bit, the only thing that I'll say is, yes, he's definitely doing that, Coach. That's an excellent point. Like, he's opening himself up. But this has, for me, certain echoes of when she was asking him out on a date and he was not responding in a way that she was looking for. That it, it, When she came to the uh, massage room, she was like, do you want to go out? And he was like, mm, no, I'm, I'm not going to give you the right answer. It it still seems a little bit that Roy knows that Roy is going to go to yoga with the middle-aged divorcees that night. And then he's going to mm. ask her out on the date tomorrow night. But he isn't doing enough proactively to communicate that stuff to her. Like, he mm. says, can I go with you to the cafe? But he also doesn't say, like... Should we spend the night apart? Should we, you know, have different activities? Mm. Like, I'm not blaming him. I'm saying that he needs to maybe be picking up what she is putting down more than he is. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Read between the lines and yeah. Yeah. I get, I get that. I don't get it. I'm just ignoring it. (laughs) Um, so Nate, uh, Nate's walking down the hallway, listening to a radio broadcast that is full of praise surprise hero of the week, assistant coach, Nate Shelley with a historically ballsy late gate, late in the game strategy that put Richmond in the semis, the wonder kid should be managing his own team, blah, 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 blah. So he's very pleased with himself listening to this on, on AirPods. Nate enters his office and who is sitting at his desk, lo and behold, but coach beard, um, and beard jumps right in and boss. What uh, does he say to Nate? You were rude to Colin. Not just rude. It was personal and weird. And Nate says, no, you're absolutely right. Did you tell Ted? So telling. So telling. That's all he cares about. It's not about, oh, yeah, I was out of line. It's just, am I in trouble? Did my boss find out? Well, not just the boss. I I think um, in the earlier scene when... Beard and Nate went off from Roy and Ted. Nate took control. I think that Nate sees himself as it like Beard is his boss, kind of, but I don't think that he gives Beard the same amount of respect that he does Ted. He thinks that Ted is er, that Beard is sort of on his level and that Nate could run practice even when Beard is there, even when Beard has been the coach longer and Beard is like the, the assistant coach. Like, so I think even in this, he is more worried about Ted. I don't think that he's going to take Beard seriously. So, um, but he does say you're absolutely right. And Coach Beard um, says, do better. And Beard says, the, no- the door is behind you to Nate's own office. And Nate walks out, realizes off- it's his office, walks back in. But Beard has dematerialized. And the best part about that is Nate looks around and then he looks up. 
<laughs> yeah, I, like, I noticed that. That is so I, that's I, so funny. I love that he jumped up. I also wonder if uh, Beard did a very quick uh, Dukes of Hazard through the window that Higgins couldn't do, because that has to be yeah. the only way through. Right. We didn't hear a door open and close. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Now, okay, you know I've been critical of Beard in the past, much as I love him. Um, and our, our in-house beard, uh, attorney will, I'm sure come to his leap to his defense, but this is an example to me of, um, if I just refer back to the owner's manual of the lasso way, um, this is be curious, not judgmental. And I'm not sure beard is doing that. And I think that would look like him saying like, Hey, I noticed like, you were you were being this way to Colin. Like, what what's going on, man? Like, what's happening? And it wasn't that. It was just I have made a determination, um, and and this is the determination. Now that said, it was long overdue, and I'm thankful that he did anything. Uh, it's like thank God this was such a moment of relief that there was a, a power check to Nathan seemingly going off the rails. Um, but. Uh, <sighs> This is this is a um, an oppor- a missed opportunity uh, that I think Beard could have uh, if he had followed the lasso way a little bit more, or what I understand to be the lasso way. Um, maybe he could have he could have had a I don't know different impact. Yeah, that's a that's a really because as you say that I I a hundred percent agree, and I also think the power of approaching the conversation that way is you get the person to get it, and even if it takes longer and even feels like why don't you just tell them X Y or Z, I think it it, it gives me room to to work my way into my own understanding of it, not just being told don't do that. Right. Because he could not do that or not be busted doing that and not change the thing that's fundamentally going off the rails. Yeah, no, I think so. And, and it's easy to with someone as insecure as Nate, it can just back you into a corner and then you appease the person with higher status than you and you attack the person with lower status. So for me, it's just it, it was the 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 idea was good and I'm glad he approached him. But I think it had a limited chance to be successful. Um, well, so we, sorry, as the, as the resident beard defender, um, I, I will say again, that is not beards role. Like it, Ted is the one that does that beard is the one that says a lot of speed. I think the other thing is the, I don't want to say limitations because that's not it exactly. But this, what Nate has going on, especially with his father and with his own insecurities, with his need to show that he is a, a man by dominating other people, that can't be addressed by the, the lasso way. That is well beyond what the lasso way is able to handle. It's the same way that the lasso way didn't work with Jamie at first because Jamie was dealing with his own abuse from his own dad. His dad apparently... Jamie's dad, I should say, because Jamie's dad liked the fact that Jamie was so good, put a lot of effort into that, which is why I think that it eventually came around to Jamie. Nate is entirely different. Like, Nate needs years of intensive therapy to deal with the shit that he's dealing with. So maybe Ted might have had more of an impact, but I 
don't think that it would have gotten all the way through. And again, not Beard's role. Like it, it, only because is is Beard's role is Beard's role telling Ted is Beard's yeah. role maybe being like okay listen this it's not my role to repair such a broken dude and and I've saw a level of toxicity from yes. him that is like completely unacceptable yeah and so I have to go right to Ted and then not even address it with Nate just have Ted walk in and go hey Nate buddy what's going on man I like mean, what, what you know pos- I, I don't know but it feels like. We were all relieved. Yes, definitely. Like, I know relieved. at the end of the episode, everybody was like, thank God. Thank God Beard said something. But after reviewing it, I thought, God, that's that didn't have a lot a, a much of a chance to work in its in that form. No, not in that form. And I will say that I feel like Beard read that wrong. Uh, maybe he wanted to handle it without bothering Ted with it. Or maybe he thought this would be enough. Maybe he doesn't know enough about Nate to know how deep it goes with him and thinks that Nate was just kind of being a little bit of a dick one day. I think that it needed to be brought to Ted's attention because Ted is the one that ultimately has the responsibility for dealing with Nate on those issues because he is the team captain or the coach. Um, So I feel like it was a good attempt. There was a lot that went wrong, but like expecting Beard to be Ted is the wrong idea. You don't expect Roy to be Ted also. You expect them to all implement parts of the lasso method, the lasso way, in order to make the team the best. And Beard can't be Ted and be Beard. He needs to be Beard. You need to have him around. That's good. Okay. I want you to be my defender when I do bullshit too. Um, Okay. Uh, Beard leaves it on do better. And I will often, um, you know how Michelle Obama, uh, do you guys remember what her, like, you know, every first lady has sort of a initiative that they do. Does anyone remember what Michelle Obama's was? It was healthy eating, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. It was healthy eating. Um, and that is, uh, Michelle Obama's person <laughs> I ad- admire and adore and, uh, and, and feels like family. I love her so much. Now, can anyone tell me that's not, of course, the, um, the uh, first lady initiative that I quote to my children to annoy them. Um, does oh. anyone know what the next first lady's initiative was? Oh, you son of a bitch. You don't say that to them. Do you, do you, <laughs> do you, do you actually tell them to be best? <laughs> I do. Oh, you I, son d- of a bitch. I do. I say be best. I think it, I think that really encompasses everything. Children just want you to be best, and they groan and, Throw things, and uh, we have a happy home life. Um, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think we're all hoping for for that that Nate comes out of this and, and will be be best. And um, you know, time will tell uh, what happens there. Um, as always, we thank everybody for listening, uh, for sticking around with us. Um, make sure you come visit us. And um, uh, and and uh, in the words of uh, <laughs> I was going to say in the no. I'm not even going to say the name out loud. Um, the important thing is that um, here on this podcast, we are Richmond. Richmond till, till we, we die. Die. <laughs> That's fantastic. And there's like a fax machine in the background somewhere. I love it. Uh, okay. We'll see you guys next time.
The TedCast is a joint venture between Pajiba and the Antagonist. Visit us at pajiba.com and antagonistblog.com.